This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning. Professor Wartscott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave uh, in an undisclosed location. Always in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country. In the Melvin Law Studio, which is the Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, and we're protected by Crime Prevention 24-7-365. And we have all these great sponsors that you will see scrolling across your screen from time to time. Our new sponsor is Allstate Insurance Agent Judy Locasio. We thank her for signing on with us and patronize these people who support us. Well, well, well. Had a good show yesterday with Ted Yoho. Man, what a trooper. Uh, He shows up, and he's on time, and doesn't matter where he is in the world. Yesterday's show, in case you missed it, is posted at wordscottfiles.com, and you will be able to see Ted from uh, Mongolia. Mongolia. Now, Mongolia is between Russia and China, and there you are. And yet, when you see the marvels of the Internet and the communication systems that we have that are really both a blessing and a cursing, if you think about it, um, we see Ted instantaneously at the speed of light talking with us as if he were simply next door and or even in the room. Now he's on his way to South Korea, where I'm sure he will check in next Wednesday, right on time. And the time, of course, will be different. The time yesterday in Mongolia was a 12 hours difference. And doesn't matter. He calculates the time for our time and goes to his hotel room and checks in. So it was a great show yesterday. We talked about a lot of things that are special. Because it's Ted, first of all, and secondly, it's because he was for eight years a U.S. representative from our area to Congress, a U.S. representative. And uh, term limited himself because basically I think he found the place disgusting. There's no real integrity or honor there. People don't keep their word. Um, It's all about party division and argumentation. The country is suffering in the meantime. And we don't have anything different much here going on in uh, this blue county of Alachua County with the city of Gainesville, which is the shining city by the hill, by the lake of the stupids that was populated by DNA fallout from a UFO that arrived in 1947. And as proof of that, let me just give you the latest, and perhaps you already know it, perhaps you don't, uh, but uh, this is in the Main Street News, Well, in case you want to find it. And it's in 
um, original presentation. But you know that there is a bill that the governor, no doubt, is going to sign right at the end of May that's going to take the control of Gainesville Regional Utilities out of the hands of the incompetent Gainesville City Commission. Now, this is a long time coming, and the city commissioners have been asked and asked and asked for years, at least a decade, going all the way back to P. Green Underhand, who started all this stuff by firing Mike Kurtz, a perfectly good manager of the GRU Utilities, because he wouldn't climb on board with her endorsement of this whole uh, obsession with green energy and uh, climate change, whatever the name was at that time. The science didn't support it. He was a very competent science person. I went to the presentations that he made, wherein he warned us in the community what was coming, on that we needed to try to stop this uh, tsunami of insanity that was coming out of the mouths primarily of pea green underhand and who, by the way, doesn't show her face now, but she has her minions doing her work for her. And one of the minions that does the work for her is not even a city commissioner. He's a former county commissioner, Robert Carl Marx uh, Hutchison, the communist commissioner. Now, I know Hutch very, very well, and he's one of these guys that just lives on the green side. He doesn't really want to hear what you have to say. He feels he's intellectually and morally superior. Uh, I've talked to him several, several, several times, and, I, I, you know, he's okay. He's a nice guy, but he's just terribly, terribly misguided. But he's... A busybody. He's always getting involved. And he has some other people that do his work with him. Bottleneck botcher who never ever gets tired of sticking her nose in everybody else's business. Um, she's not very likable. She's kind of snooty. Um, I always tease her when I see her. Uh, and she kind of reluctantly warms up to me as if she's warming up to a rattlesnake. And, you know, they have been meddling with city business forever and a day. I call her bottleneck botcher because she wanted a two-lane 8th Avenue as it came down the hill and went over to 34th. Uh, finally, I think it ended up a compromise of a three-lane. All this while Ed Braddy was the mayor. Uh, so anyway, these characters never change. They're always involved. Uh, they're always meddling. Uh, it's the same old cadre. And now they're referred to as a group, okay, in the Main Street article. It says as follows. A group of Alachua County residents. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Alachua County residents, some of them, do suffer at the hands or suffer the consequences of the poor leadership of the city of Gainesville. Because the city of Gainesville are the managers of the utility 
that serves more than just residents of the city of Gainesville. So I guess you could say that Alachua County residents have standing, what the court calls standing, and that they're affected by the decisions that the city of Gainesville commissioners make over the utility that they have to use, which is a monopoly. And now this group has raised 50 grand and hired a liar firm uh, to file lawsuits over the coming legislation the governor will sign at the end of the month about the GRU utilities bill. And they're going to develop a strategy, a kind of strategy that they hope they're going to go first. This all will hinge on judge shopping. They're going to go shopping for a liberal judge. Now, they'll find a liberal judge. There's one, you know, they're all over this area. So once they find a liberal judge, I can predict for you that the governor will um, find an he will appeal it, and they'll find a, quote, a conservative judge. But the hope of this, now think of that. One judge can stop the decisions of an entire legislative body is what this group wants to do. They want to find a single lame brain judge who will throw a monkey wrench in all of this effort just because they don't agree and they've been warned for a decade about this coming and ignored it cavalierly. So the uh, funds have come from 50 people. That's a grand a piece or some more, whatever. They sent letters to 250. They're going to file a complaint next week. Um, so far, this little group lacks an official name. Um, they're going to form a nonprofit. They're going to have a website. And um, they've hired a liar uh, from the Ashbagger Law Firm from Jacksonville. And Hutchison is going to be the client. Well, Hutchison's not even a city commissioner. Okay, I don't even know if he's on GRU power. But, you know, let's assume he is for the purposes of being a client uh, who's going to say what? You know, this is negatively going to affect my rates. At any rate, they don't mind that. They just want to put in a beef. So um, they're going to try to add other plaintiffs. They're going to try to add former employees and unions. You know, one of the things I bet they don't add is a school board because the school board and the school system has suffered mightily from the dumb decisions about GRU power because they're a captive audience. They buy their power from GRU, which is to say we buy the power from GRU. So Hutchison is the Robert Carl Marx Hutch Hutchison is going to uh, try to bring multiple charges uh, and they'll try to run them through a state court and they're going to file some at a federal level. They're just going to be pains in the ass is what they're going to be, which is not new to Hutchison. Hutchison has gummed up uh, the um, development that was going to take place in Hut in, uh, in Hawthorne, Plum Creek. Uh, he once upon a time when 
Darnell was the sheriff, told Darnell to stop arresting people for pot, that he, in his mighty wisdom, uh, felt that pot was innocuous and uh, it was a waste of time and money for the sheriff to bust people for pot. Well, never mind how much pot it was. It was just pot. And we know darn good and well that gangs are peddling pot. So the Darnell told Hutchison, hey, it's a law. I can't stop enforcing a law. If you want to do something about it, change the law. Well, he never could get that law changed, evidently. But he's going to try to get this bill, which will become law at the end of this month, changed. At least he's going to get it challenged. And he hopes that when he gets it challenged, it's going to bog the process down where the bill can actually take effect, uh, pushing back, if you will. Now, it's got bottleneck botcher, um, and they're trying to decide how they're going to present, make a presentation of all these beefs they've got. You know, this is government at its worst. You know, why didn't they address the situation? See, they're running cover for Pete Green underhand. She hasn't showed her face. I guarantee you she's puppet string pulling behind the scenes here. This bill is um, long past due. They should have done something a long time ago. And Chuck Clemens came along and um, artfully and craftily. Imagine all the convincing this bill had to go through at the legislative level. Because as I've said, very few people in the state of Florida give a damn about Alachua County. They've written Alachua County off as just a crazy place where nobody with any sense would live. And so be it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, just cordon them off and let them exist according to their own folly. Except along comes Perry and Clemens and the governor. And they have a little different idea here because the cities are subdivisions of the state. So they have the authority to do what they're doing. So um, Hutchison, of course, in his infinite wisdom, has called the bill ridiculous. Never mind that it went all the way through the House and Senate legislative process. And in doing that, uh, the Democrats had an opportunity to talk and did and were not convincing. And so it has run the democratic process. But you see, this is what the liberals do. When the democratic process doesn't reach the outcome they want, they don't support the democratic process. So uh, they accuse the state of cherry picking which departments in the city they can interfere with uh, when they themselves are cherry-picking what bills they want to oppose. Um, it is ludicrous and crazy on the surface, but at the same time, this is a troublemaking crew. That troublemaking is not uh, new to. Uh, they, uh, they are fully uh, aware of trouble. They know how to make trouble. 
Uh, they know how to uh, talk out of both sides of their mouths. It's a really kind of crazy, but nevertheless, you can't you can't reason with them. You just have to defeat them through the process, which I predict will happen. But they'll find, I'm pretty sure, given the way the world is now, they'll find some crazy liberal judge. Listen, they're all liberal law professors at the University of Florida Law School. And the University of Florida Law School is loaded with liberal law school graduates. It's practically a factory for them. So these liars go out and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, practice gumming the works up. They're all, and Joe Little, I think, is still there. And he's a master craftsman at teaching youngins how to gum the works up. Um, update on the FDLE and what our instigator, investigator commented on the other day. Uh, the FDLE election crime unit has arrested a fellow named Luis Palomari from Melbourne. He's 77 years old for giving false information uh connection with an election and voting as an unqualified elector. Oh, there's no voter beep. You know, don't think anything of it. It doesn't exist, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, really? Well, oh, well, yeah, it does, but it's not statistically significant. Well, how do you know? You haven't found them yourself. You haven't even looked. So, uh, he's in the Bavard County Jug now. Um, Ashley Moody's Office of Statewide Prosecution, the Office of Election Crimes and Security, will prosecute the case. Evidently, they're getting cranked up and getting ready to send salvos out for anybody who thinks of, in the state of Florida anyway, getting away with this uh, kind of voter beep. Um in West Palm Beach, uh, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement arrested two individuals there on voting B charges. Uh, one was a person 64 years old from West Palm, was charged with one count of false affirmation in connection with an election, two charges of voting by an unqualified elector. All these are third-degree felonies, by the way. Now, this guy, Cameron, was a convicted sex offender. Uh, investigator instigator found this to be rapid all over the state. Sex offenders lose their rights forever. Can't get them back by any legislation. And what you've got is them voting just as if they're regular people and nobody knows or follows up on it until, you know, somebody like the Ward Scott Files takes a look at these things. So um, he's uh, in Brevard County, and uh, he uh, stated a falsehood on his affirmation when he voted. He said he was not a convicted felon and that his rights had been restored. And, of course, it all was a big lie. Uh, He voted by mail, okay, in the 2020 and the 2022 general elections. We've been talking forever and a day about how easy it is to uh, pull a fast one voting by mail or by the uh, so-called absentee ballot. They're practically unaccountable. 
you, 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 and this is a more and more. I read a statistic, and maybe I'm wrong. For sixty percent of the voting is being done by mail or absentee ballot, <clears throat> and, and you know, I can assure you, I can assure you that that's not the same as showing up at the poll with a voter ID that looks like you and a signature that matches you, and then you're voting. But you see, in the name of disenfranchisement, if you don't support the absentee, that's been the way in which they perpetrated this hoax on the elector process. And it gets worse. Now, uh, there's also a guy named Anthony Carlton Francesca, 53, of Palm Beach Gardens, uh, he was charged with one count of false affirmation in connection with an election and one count of voting as an unqualified elector. Um, he's a convicted sex offender. Uh, he registered for and voted in the 2020 election, though he wasn't qualified to do so. Uh, so all these cases are now being referred to Ashley Moody's office of statewide. Are you ready? Prosecution. Huh? There you are. There you are. Well, well, well. This story interested me for a number of reasons. A liberal arts university in Connecticut, this is an abortion examiner, says it will now cover the costs of any student who wishes to get an abortion or a plan B contraceptive, regardless of their insurance status. This is Wesleyan University. They announced this last week and they caved to pressure from the university's Democratic Socialists of America. Now, the reason I'm taking some time to talk about this is the Democrats are going to cram this into the national election discussion because they know it's divisive and they're going to side Obviously, they're gearing up their plans now, and this is one example, with this liberal attitude towards human life. So the Democratic Socialists of America, they have a chapter at Western University. I haven't checked in to see if they've got one in Florida. They probably do, or some version of it. And they put the pressure on this university, Wesleyan, and the school's going to now pay for any student to get an abortion or emergency contraceptives. And it's also committed, the the university is, uh, to footing the bill for any transportation costs that these students incur getting these abortions. And they say, this is the way they put this into their brain. They say, this is consistent 
with the health center's mission. See, some of the for somehow, some way, this has become a health issue. So it's consistent with the health center's mission, which is to provide education and support in the decision making process. So this obviously comes under the category of support and for Matt for bad decisions. For bad decisions. So a college called Bernard College um, helps students secure abortion pills as well as has a broad movement towards another term that's really becoming fashion. Reproductive justice. Have you heard that one before? Reproductive justice. There you go. This is now the university, in this case, Wesleyan, considers itself to be playing a pioneering role in reproductive health care. Now, it is a private liberal arts college. A little different if it were state, or I doubt DeSantis and our state government would permit this to happen at a state college. And that's what the fight's going to be as they go out to smear DeSantis. You see how this is all setting up? Now, Trump, I'm told, I didn't watch it, skated around or skirted or avoided answering a question evidently during his interrogation last night about abortion. But meanwhile, somebody's going to have to address it in the Republican camp because it's going to be used by the Democrats as a sledgehammer. The Democratic-controlled states are making... Think this is how clever they are, the Democrats. The Democratic-controlled states are taking steps to make abortion as available to college students, so writes the examiner, as a flu shot. Now, what this does, then you follow this up, and you have been voter drives on college campuses, and you sign up all these students, okay, who are not yet married, who are not yet working, who are having the student life, the entire University of California and California State University systems are required by law to provide abortion pills to students at their respective university health centers. And last year, the University of Amherst announced it would do the same. That's over in uh, in uh, the Northeast. And what I'm saying is there's more here than meets the eye. This is not just about caving to the students' mistakes or misjudgments or misfortunes, however you want to phrase it. It's about laying the foundation, laying the foundation 
or the presidential election. Now, here we've got all these big situations. I assure you, the emotional issues are going to, I can't use Trump anymore. They're going to dominate the real issues. Because people are emotional creatures. So if you run the abortion up the flagpole, feature it as a decisive vote getter, then put the back seat the debt, put the back seat immigration, put the back seat all the things that are really banging us over the head here, and go after the youth vote and see if you can't organize that and use that as a decisive factor in the whole thing. It's really, it's really pretty interesting. Um, it goes right in there along with the race card, which I'm going to get into uh, after the bottom, after our break for the weather. Um, it is right in there with um, the playbook that the Democrats are playing with. So get tuned for it. Okay, we're going to break for the weather here on the Ward Scott Files. We'll be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. There are a few tickets left for Gainesville's best pig roast and special whiskey debut. Sunday, May 21st from 2 to 5 p.m., Spurrier's Gridiron Grill is roasting a whole pig and sipping piggyback rye whiskey. Join us at Vicer's Rooftop for the release of Spurrier's Piggyback Rye's private-labeled barrel select whiskey. We'll have specialty drinks, games, raffles, plus each ticket includes your own bottle of Spurrier's Piggyback Rye Whiskey to take home. Go to Spurriers.com to get your ticket to join 125 of your friends at the Rooftop Pig Roast before we sell out. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. 
or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our... Here on Ward's Weather, generally, usually I see Ward's Weather pop up there. Uh, weather report brought to you by, of course, Lewis Oil. Not seeing that right now, but uh, that's what we're doing. And um, Lewis Oil is the Chevron stations and support all those people. Great sponsor for us. Well, we're looking for rain here, if we can get it. And some people are getting it, and everybody needs it where we are, particularly those of us who have livestock. Uh, of course, there's um, probably climate change is behind this. Every time things uh, don't go our way, we can certainly call it a problem with climate change. Meanwhile, there are large storms in the plains. Um, there is also a flood threat in Texas, Oklahoma, uh, but uh, northwest heat wave could smash records on Mother's Day. So we're not really getting uh, um, the profound effect that everybody else seems to be getting, except in patchy forms and perhaps where you are, you are getting a little bit of water. Well, well, well. Uh, I want to get into a subject I promised yesterday I would get into, which is a very controversial subject. And of course, I titled today's show Slavery. Um, as you know, in California, um, there's a nine-member committee uh, that that liberal governor Newsom created and with along with his Democratic legislature. And um, they uh, really probably didn't understand what they were doing because now they're, they're faced with having to say no to these people who took them seriously and who are threatening not to vote for them if they don't get their way, which is always the childish behavior. And that is to be paid for being black. Now, the reason you'll be paid for being black is there's no question of what you must have been in the past connected to somebody who was a slave. And um, the numbers are all over the place uh, as to what would be paid out. Uh, you've seen these things, or perhaps you should... You know, uh, it's it's worse than the uh, uh, Las Vegas. I mean, it really um, all sorts of reparations. The committee has nine people on it uh, who came up with these numbers. Eight are black and one is a Japanese American. I happen to know a young woman who was raised in a Japanese internment camp. Um, and found it a wonderful place to be. In that internment camp, she learned agriculture. The family was intact. Um, they had a wonderful life. But the myth is, obviously by putting that one Japanese-American 
on this uh, on this committee um, that it, slavery just must have been terrible. And while you were on that um, captive location, because you had the misfortune to be a Japanese person during World War II, and it wasn't this person, it was her parents who were there and grandparents. Well, you must be now in 2023 just suffering horribly. Well, as you know, I'm a professor. And one of the things that I do is I read and I research and I try to leave an open mind. Now, I mentioned yesterday of this work. It's called Roll, Jordan Roll. The world, let me see if I can get it right here. The world, the slaves made by Eugene Genovese. Genovese is an American historian, but Italian descent. And as I suggested to you yesterday, the conclusions are reached from a voracious number of documents that are looked at without any understanding when they're looked at of how the dots connect. They're called notes. And this reading and research took years. All sorts of entries, which are too detailed for me to go into here. And what happens when he reads these sources? Patterns develop. And out of the patterns come relationships. And out of relationships come organized sections. It's the way I put this show together. What I do to put this show together is the moment we close the show, I'm, I'm reading. Not every second, but you know, I'm reading through the day, reading into the evening. And what am I reading? Everything. I have no preconceived notion of what I'm reading. I read this publication, that publication. Some I know right away are things you need to read with a healthy skepticism, but you read them. And then I select from all that which I've read, maybe 10 articles. I look at those articles and I say, what are they, what are they, how do they connect? Or how do they subdivide? How? And so after a while, when I look at them, I reject some, keep others. I put them sort of together. Today's are under the headings of local. Then I have some subcategories, GRU and voting. Then I have abortion, which I just went through. And I went through a couple of articles with you about that. 
Then we do the weather. And now I'm doing slavery. And I cited the article on the Wall Street Journal about, and you read all kinds of them, about California reparations. And now I'm going to put into my bibliography or my work cited here the following information. Just one section. I'm going to go through this with you. This is on page 450. And the, the work has, excluding the notes, some 670 pages, all about slaves. Okay? 670 pages. And by the way, Slavery is not the same as racism. Now, let me just share some thoughts with you. This section is called The Myth of the Absent Family. The historians and sociologists, Genovese says, black and white, have been led astray. What they have done is they have read the story of the 20th century black ghettos, and this was written before the 21st century, the 20th century black ghettos backwards. Backwards in time and have assumed that the 20th century black ghettos were had continuity with slave days. Now, where did the ghettos come from? During the 20th century, blacks went north in great waves. Right? Well, what happened? The women worked as domestics. The men, black men, found themselves shut out of employment by racial discrimination in the North. The data about family life as a slave is nothing like what happened to the family in the North in the 20th century. We're going back now to the 19th century and the early part of the 19th century. And here's what the slave masters, Genovese writes from his research, Understood. They understood, according to Genovese now, that the strength of the family among their slaves was a powerful way for controlling the society of the plantation. 
they recognized that it was necessary for the men to have wives and children. And that they were raised on a plantation as a unit. Let me tell you a story that practically no one knows that I'm aware of. Except there is a newspaper article in the Gainesville Sun from years ago where the mother of Willie Jackson and Terry Jackson and Willie Jackson Jr. and Terry Jackson. Terry Jackson was the president, as I remember, of the University of Florida student body and a football player and went for the San Francisco 49ers for a while. Willie Jackson Jr. just became the head coach, football coach, at P.K. Young. Years ago, when they were in college, a reporter interviewed their mother and said, Mrs. Jackson, you've raised two fine young men. How did you do it? And she said, I learned how to do it from Mrs. Andasia Bennett. Now, when I first went to work at Gainesville High, Andasia Bennett was my mentor. Andasia Bennett was the wife, widow of Harry Bennett, who had a tongue oil plantation. outside of Brooker. I learned at some point in my beginning year there that when you had been accepted by Mrs. Bennett, you were in. She was considered the matriarch of the whole school system in this county at the time. And how you knew when you were accepted was you were invited to lunch at the plantation. Now, her niece was Joan Kennedy, who was married to Ted Kennedy at the time. I drove out to Brooker to the plantation, and sat at her invitation, of course, in a little wooden trellis arbor there and talked. And the art of conversation was a big value to Mrs. Bennett. No radios, no televisions. What do you know about Longfellow? What do you know about Shakespeare? Can you keep me interested while we talk? I realized that was one test I was passing by even being there. After we had conversed for a while, we went into the home 
which was constructed, by the way, out of virgin Florida oak. Into this dining hall, pretty long, pretty long table. Once upon a time, I know that there had been a lot of people around that table, but it had been reduced just to Mrs. Bennett, who lived there with her manservant. Mrs. Bennett sat there, and I sat beside her, and we had lunch. I remember she picked up something that signaled. It was a bell or something. And through these bifold doors came this very tall, stately black man in a white jacket, formally dressed. Didn't speak. And Mrs. Bennett asked for something or other, and this gentleman brought it back. I never thought any more about it. I just thought, well, this is the way it works here, you know. In this newspaper article, the reporter had asked Willie and Terry Jackson's mother how she learned to be such a good mother. And I was reading the article, not knowing what I was going to come across. She said that she had been raised at the Bennett Tunnel Plantation. That man in that white coat who came through and waited on us was her father. She had played on the floors of that home, of that house, and had learned decorum and manners and order and civility from being around this white woman who was the master of that farm, that plantation. And she gave high praise to that formality. And here I am reading the myth of the absent family in this work by Genovese. And one of his discoveries is that if you were a smart plantation master, you did not separate husband and wife and family because the consequences for the children loomed large. And these slaveholders were fully aware of this. Now, where is that? I'm just reading a couple of sentences. I'm just reading a couple of sentences out of this work. 670 pages. I'm cross-referencing it with my own experience. Which is interesting because it cross-references with very public figures now. And Willie Jackson Sr. is a good friend of mine. In fact, there are pictures on my... Facebook page of Willie and I together. 
Where is this testimony? Where is this in the conversation? I listened to some Fox News people last night talk from New York about racism. They didn't know what the hell they were talking about. They didn't have a clue. Many slaveholders went to impressive lengths to keep families together, even at the price of considerable pecuniary loss. The kernel of truth in the notion that the slaveholders felt guilty about owning human beings resides largely in the issue that they did feel guilty about their inability to live up to their own paternalistic justification or slavery in the face of market pressures. Where did the market pressures come from? They came from the North. The North wanted the product. And the mistake the South made was growing crops for money rather than growing crops for food. Because when you started growing crops for money, slavery was about to die of its own weight until the cotton gin was invented by a northerner. This is a very complicated issue. And it's not being told right. It's not being researched. And it's being used to browbeat people. In the late antebellum period in the South, Yonavisi found that several states even moved to forbid the sale of children away from their mother. Look what we have now. The state, I would argue, is now the master. And the state pays the mother to have the children, this is oversimplified, but think about it, without the father. So there's no family unit. There's money, the state gives them, but there's no family unit. And there's nobody to model their family after. There's no Andasia Bennett for them to model their family after. They just have a series of bad models and bad fathers and State keeps stepping in and patching it together. Meanwhile, they're still in the ghettos. Where all those ghettos in Chicago come from? They came from relocation of people from the South who bought in to the Northern dream, which was a lie. You're not a slave here, but you're not free either. Oh, really? And by the way, we don't have anything that supports your family unit. 
So we got all these kids doing what? You know what becomes their family? I'll tell you what becomes these young kids' family. The gangs. The gangs become their family. Now, Genovese understands that this is controversial, addresses that issue. That's just on one section, on one page, the myth of the absent family. And by the way, Negroes own slaves too. There's a whole chapter on that. Does that come up in the conversation? So listen. It's a complicated issue. A very complicated issue. Don't buy into the oversimplified Well, presentations of the subject. Probably get into the Biden family business tomorrow. That's really a, 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 you know, interesting kind of little syndicated crime unit, isn't it? Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.